I'm going to begin in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 2, uh, the apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, for who among men, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man? For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man uh, which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Even though the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. I'll read that again. Now we have received, you're a Christian, you have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human uh, wisdom, but in uh, those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. A natural man cannot do that. Verse 15, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself uh, is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, you go to Colossians in chapter 1. Uh, I had mentioned that in this introductory statement that Paul writes to the Colossians, it is textbook for uh, a the revealing of everything that the scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Christian, just very quick recap, you have the love of God is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, again, Romans in chapter five, the love of God has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without that taking place. Uh, in the gospel of John, uh, John writes more about the action of the Holy Spirit than the other gospel writers. But the Holy Spirit is given to those as Christians, to us as Christians, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to convict us, to grow us. Uh, we're taught in Acts chapter 2 that, that when through the preaching of God's word and our heart is pierced and we cry out, what must we do spiritually, verbally? And the scripture teaches, repent and uh, each one of you will be, receive the forgiveness of your sins. And you, you will also, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this is in us. It's been poured into our heart through the love of God by the Holy Spirit. It teaches, leads, guides us, instructs us. It's, it, it's given as a gift. It indwells within us. And yet we also know that we are in conflict. That as long as we're alive in this flesh, this rotting, decaying body of flesh, that there's a conflict. There's a conflict between our carnal, physical flesh and the spiritual side, that holy, biblical, Christian, Holy Spirit that God has sealed us with, promised, sealed, given to us. So we're in conflict. And so when you go through this opening statement of Colossians, there's this great display. Now, one of the things that scripture does, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God inspired, every bit of it. Every word of God is inspired by God for teaching and reproof and rebuke and for training uh, a Christian in the ways of righteousness. That's what scripture, all of it, every word, Genesis through Revelation is inspired by God and it has a purpose. 
okay? So it teaches us, it rebukes us, it reproofs us. Uh, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, with leads, guides, teaches us. And then one of the things that happens as you read through Scripture, and you ought to do this. This is a, a daily activity for me. So I read the text, whatever the text is. And so whatever that text is dealing with, there is the spiritual evidence and truth of that, and then you can contrast it to something. So the great lesson here in these first 12 verses, and I've created a handout for you here, and I want you to look at it. Now, I'm just going to read, I'm going to read the carnal, earthly, worldly side. And so now in the, the passage that I've read or that I've read as we've gone through the series, I use the New American Standard. So I'm going to read that real quickly, then I'm going to go to that left side. We're going to look at a contrast. But in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writing his introductory statements, uh, these holy, spiritual, holy spirit-inspired words to Christians in Colossae. He writes, Paul, an apostle, verse 1, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Again, this is the New American Standard. Uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ, praying always for you. Nice opening statement. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Since. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven in which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Which has come to you just, it has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it, as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your spirit, of your love in the spirit. Now, the lesson this morning, verse 9, for this reason, New American Standard, for this reason, also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, in this handout, again, New American Standard, if you're reading these verses, verses 1 through 9, um, I've broken it down, the contrast. So we have Paul's opening statement, but then there is the carnal. His is spiritual. Every one of those words is the evidence, the working, the teaching, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God's Word. Now contrast that. So what if you were, so the carnal, earthly, and worldly determines who we are. And I've mentioned this in the past. If you're in the flesh, our thinking in the flesh, the way we approach life is, well, I know who I am. I'm of me by my will. I'm of me by my will. We learn that from our very, almost from conception as we're born into this world. We, we're, adding to, we're creating, building, and adding to our kingdom. Jesus says, uh, you seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. But as we're born and as we are gathering under ourselves, we're living according to me and my will, which then determines what we give and who we give to. Because I am of me by my will, I'm going to give to my inner circle, which is limited, selfish, and carnal. That's what we do. Circle of friends, that inner circle. Since it depends on the activity of the things, our carnal flesh love. It's just true. I'm of me by my will, 
And so I give, and what I give and who I give is to my inner circle, which is limited, selfish, and carnal. I have a circle. I have, I have my people. My tribe is limited. And that depends on the activity of the things that my group, me, our carnal flesh love. Because, verse 5, there's the spiritual verse, but because of my earthly, carnal, and temporary selfish hopes. That's just the truth. This is, a, this is the truth of who we are. Me, mine, my people, based upon the things that my flesh loves. And uh, ultimately, I begin to learn that it's my flesh, the carnal, the earthly, can only give me temporary selfish hopes. That's it. That's it. At some point, I think even the most carnal of people, those that are not Christian, those that are without the Spirit of God, they came to the same conclusion that, that Solomon would come to, that it's vain. Life is vain. It's vanity. But that's what happens because of my earthly carnal and temporary selfish hopes, which is based upon vanity and is temporary and diminishes. Again, Ecclesiastes. Just what? How did that happen? Just as I learned it from selfish, like-minded people on behalf of me and mine, being informed by a carnal, earthly, worldly self-love. That, that's, that's who we are in the flesh. It just is. Without Christ, it's just who we are. If you want to try to make sense of all the dark, broken circumstances, the events that are taking place in our world, you want to try to make sense of what's going on in Washington, D.C., you want to try to make sense of what's going on in the Middle East, you want to try to make sense of what's going on in, you know, the broken communities of our country, you could put it in a political arena. You could say it's left. You could say it's right. You could do all those things. But, but if you want to know what's happening in this world, the world is just this. It's a carnal, flesh-driven earth that we live in. It's true. And if you turn on the TV and you're going to watch the news or you're in social media and you learn of something horrendous taking place and, and it's just evil. It's just that. It's just the carnal. It's the flesh. It's the curse. You can read about it in the first three chapters of Genesis. Men fell. We fell. And because of our failure and our sin and our desire to sin, we, this, we're living under a curse. And the, the curse is carnal. It's earthly. It's worldly. It's my will with my people doing what I want. It's selfish. It's temporary. It diminishes. I learned it from people just like me. And that's who I am. Now, a Christian, on the other hand, has been transformed, regenerated. And so just to recap, so the spiritual heavenly biblically is always of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's who we are. When, when God saves me, 
and he redeems me and he reconciles me and he regenerates me, all of a sudden, I'm not living of me by my will. I'm living of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And, and that determines what I give and who I give to. And so I give to a sanctified and spiritual family with gratitude and prayer, grace and peace to everyone. Since our, our faith, my faith, your faith is in Christ Jesus and our love for all the saints because of our heavenly hope. Now I have a heavenly hope, which is based upon the gospel, which bears fruit as in, is increasing. The temporal, the fleshly, the carnal is always temporary. It's diminishing. And yet the spiritual is always increasing and understands the grace of God and truth. Just as I learned it, and that's, that's 2,000 years of Christianity. It began on Pentecost. It's the, it's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and Mark 16, 16. It's the fulfillment of Acts 1 and 8. Jesus told the apostles, you go into Jerusalem, and you wait, and you're going to receive power uh, from the Holy Spirit from above, and you're going to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then even the remotest parts of the world, and you and I are in Curtin, Texas on a Sunday, worshiping God, sharing the ministry of the word, praising him, uh, just taking the Lord's Supper, fellowship together as saints, because 2,000 years ago, faithful men and women decided that they would, in fact, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, fulfill the commission, and here we are. Started in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then even the remotest parts of the world. But it happened because spiritual people have been teaching it. We've been to, you and I are to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord. And that's how it happens spiritually. And then our information, where's it coming from? It's either coming from a carnal earthly world of self-love or by the love in the spirit. And that's 1 Corinthians 13. If you know what love in the spirit is, just read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not jealous, it does not brag, it is not envious, it doesn't boast, it holds no record of wrongs. There's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That's spiritual love. It's biblical love. You see it on the cross, you can read it in the Word, and you ought to be able to see it in the body of Christ. So there is the contrast. But now verse 9, verse 9, it says, okay, this is who I am by the will of God. This is who I give to. Since my faith in Christ Jesus, love for all the saints, because of my heavenly hope, all of that, and then there's a reason for this reason. So I asked the youth group this morning, I said, have you ever been, ha had to give an accounting uh, for something? Have you had to, uh, and it could be good or bad. I mean, you say, somebody said, well, why did you do that? And it could be something good. Well, why did you give me that gift? Well, the reason I gave you that gift was because I love you. So it could be good. Many times, though, when we're called to give a reason for something, uh, it could, it's not necessarily good. <laughs> Why did you do that? What were you thinking? What was your reasoning? And so you could fill in the blanks and you could uh, think back in your own life. And I always appreciate the honesty. Dead kids are very honest, uh, uh, sometimes too honest. Um, but they are. And, and, and I said, tell me of time when you had to say, okay, so this is what you did. Uh, what was your re what was the reason? I will say I'm not going to talk about it, but I loved uh, Braden's. I asked Braden one particular question. I said, "So when you did this and did this, uh, you know, why'd you do it? What was your reasoning?" And his answer was, "Why not?" <laughs> you gotta love that. Why not? You know, and uh, 
because I liked it, but I love that. It was a praise of good. He didn't even have to think about it. why not. So uh, there you go. But it's good. So for this reason. So and then I said, okay, so do this for me. So if you're a Christian and someone asked, give me the reason. If you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? And Grace said, because uh, I'm a Christian because God saved me uh, from my sins. Amen. And then Colton said, he added that, because he loved us. And, and Braden, I think it was Braden that said, no, Hudson said, because I want to go to heaven, because of heaven. So it was Grace that said, Jesus saved me. Uh, I'm a, the reason I'm a Christian is I'm, Jesus saved me from my sins. Colton said, because he loves me. And I think Hudson said, because, Hudson, or I got him, Braden, uh, one of them said, because of heaven. You know, I want to go to heaven. And one of them said, because I don't want to go to hell. Pretty good, huh? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We have to fear judgment in hell because it's coming. So when you look at the contrast between the carnal and the flesh and the spiritual, and Paul makes his statement, he does this verse 9, all this list right here. I'm not going to reread it. He says, for this reason. For this reason. So, if you were to able to look at this list, and you would probably be very honest, I think, and I use this verse a lot, Paul's personal testimony in Romans chapter 7, I relate to it, and that's why I quote it very often. As he writes to the Romans, he says, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? The good that I would do, I find that I cannot do. I find then that the principle of evil dwells within me, the one who wishes to do good. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death. The Apostle Paul. He wrote that about himself. The struggle. Now the eighth chapter deals, starts out, therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And, and he mentions that, man, we can, listen, uh, we've been made more than conquerors. I mean, it's this great passage about the influence of the Holy Spirit and how all that happens. But the contrast between the seventh and the eighth chapter is the truth about you and I. I'm a Christian I've been saved by God through grace, by faith, and that not of myself. I've had the Holy Spirit poured in my love, into my heart through the love of God. I've been, I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in all the world. That's true, but I'm still in my flesh. I'm just like what John said in 1 John in chapter 1. He said, Christians, if you say we do not sin, we lie, the truth is not in us. Christians, if we say we haven't sinned and we do not sin, we make God out to be a liar. Christians, we sin. We're in our flesh. We're carnal. And until the day we die, I'm convinced that that struggle never completely leaves us. But the promise of Christianity and the sealing of the Holy Spirit is a growth is that we're growing, that God is growing in us, his will, right? And so to fully understand that then, we need to have, and that's what Scripture, Scripture doesn't only just give us the spiritual side that we can contrast to the carnal side, but spirit, what else does it do? The, if we're, the best thing that Scripture does, Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture, is it should, it's supposed to, to challenge you and I to examine ourselves. 
Good teachers always do that. Great teachers, and the Holy Spirit is called a teacher. So great teachers will always, always get you to look at yourself, examine yourself. The best teachers you'll ever have are someone that says, okay, whatever the goal is, whatever it is you need to know, here's what it is, okay? Now, there's information, and in order for you to fully understand that, grasp that, be successful at it, you need to examine yourself. And so the great examining point in this statement, this introductory statement, is after all this stuff that is spiritual, he says, for this reason. Now, you and I would be well served in our daily living, as we're struggling in our flesh and we're trying to figure out and we're angry about stuff we shouldn't be angry about and we say things we shouldn't be saying and we get redneck out in the traffic or whatever it is. And all that's that old flesh, that old carnal coming out of us. You know, one of the things in light of the Holy Spirit and what we ought to be examining ourselves and saying, why, why am I doing this? What, did that, what just happened? But even more, though, in our Christian life, we ought to be able to say is what leads us and motivates us and teaches us, guides us. We say, I can tell you why I do this. For this reason. For this reason. Because I'm of Jesus Christ by the will of God, man. Because I receive and I give grace and peace, man. Because of the truth of the gospel. All these wonderful things. The wonderful people that have informed me about the love of God. Man, let me tell you, this is the reason. This is the reason. Now, he says right here, he breaks it down. It's pretty simple. He says, for this reason, what? Man, for this reason, since the day we heard of it. Christianity, the spiritual, the biblical, is not a delayed reaction. Think about it. I can't speak to your transformation. I cannot do that. I can't speak to the moment that you became Acutely aware, God has saved me. I'm saved. I am saved. I know who I used to be. I now understand the truth of the gospel. I do believe God is love. I do believe that he gave me his son. I do believe that he was a sacrifice that in his blood and the sacrifice of his life was cleansed me from all my sins, and I have a hope, a future. I believe that. I don't believe that's a gradual thing. I don't. I don't believe you just, now you may gradually through the process of time come to that moment in the understanding, but when you're saved, when you're saved, I love it. Since the day we heard of it, I believe Christianity and it's all and it's powerfully impacting truth is immediate. It is immediate. The growth is eternal. And, but the, the, that saving, it's immediate. And, and I love the way since the day we heard of it, listen, we can talk about the reason and we can explain the reason and we first have to start, listen, this, this is, I know this happened. I remember very clearly the day that God saved me in that moment and that night in February of 1985, there was this just impactful change. And the man that God used to teach me the scripture, one of those, one of those uh, individuals in that path that God does as he leads us to save us, I remember thinking overwhelmingly something in me. I said, 
What can I do? What, what, what can I do? And I asked again, I said, what can I do? I, 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 I know who I've been. I know what I used to do. I mean, my whole life revolved about, you know, trying to get in, go to another rodeo or just to pursue the personal pleasures of my life or, or, or just me, 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 me. And God saved me. And immediately since that moment, since I heard that, Romans 10 and 17, consequently faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. And I'd heard that and I'd heard it and now God saved me. And I remember thinking, what can I do? And I love the guy at the moment. I don't get too personal, but he said, uh, because I don't believe in coincidence. The man said, do you have a commercial driver's license? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, we have a bus ministry. We need, we go into neighborhoods all over San Antonio, Texas, had 13 buses and we pick up, man, they would pick up hundreds of kids, hundreds of kids each Sunday and Wednesday. And we need somebody to drive a bus. Now, what does that have to do? Listen, when you're living in the flesh and God saves you and moves you to the spiritual, it's immediate and it's impactful. And so I, God put me in that bus. And it was an 83-year-old gentleman in that bus. He was the bus captain. He was a frail little white guy, and he had arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. And he, he, uh, he would go to the worst neighborhood in San Antonio, Texas. Every time I read this, I, I think of this. He, he would go on a, a Saturday, and he would go at little frail white man, and he'd knock on doors, and he says, we have a joy bus, man. And we're going to be here tomorrow and pick you. Anybody wants to come? And this man did this for over a dozen years, started in his 70s, and went into his 80s, and I was his bus driver. I drove his bus for three years, and he was such an inspiration to me, and we'd go into this neighborhood, and we'd pick up at least, the bus would hold 45, and we'd pick up 40, and old Tab was there, and every time I read this passage, I go back to that moment. This is what this passage is talking about. When people have been saved by the Spirit of God and now they're living according to his will of Jesus Christ based upon the gospel. And so then you have this great thing right here. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, for this reason, what have we not? We've not ceased to pray for you. We've not ceased to pray for you. I asked the kids this morning, why do you pray? And again, they were so honest. What do you pray for? Now, I remember, and I still do, and the scripture says the reason we don't have is because we don't ask. And that's in the book of James. And Jesus says, ask, verse, chapter 7, verse 7, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be, the door will be open. And then Paul would write that we're to, in, we're to pray without ceasing. And I used to think, well, a person can't pray without ceasing. But then I used to think, as I've gone through this process, I, I said, okay, so when I was a new Christian, now the carnal can pray. We're going to conclude with that. But when I was first a Christian, I know what my prayers were. And now many, many years later, uh, but listening to them talk about what they would pray for was so enlightening for me. Um, and I did share with them, now that I'm older, um, my prayers, there was a time that I would just pray, obviously, the things that I would want and things that were on my mind. I found myself in my older age uh, praying, 
for those that, that I'm concerned about, that I have a fear for. My prayers have shifted there. I mean, the prayers are much more than just that. But I'm going to ask you to challenge yourself. What are you praying for? Because Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you. Now, he's going to clarify. He's going to add legs to that. But I, I had to stop and pause there. Who, who and what am I praying? And why? What's the motivation? What's the reason for my praying? At this point in my life, the reason for me is the people that I'm concerned for. And I'm not just talking about health. I, I really, obviously, you want to pray for people and their health. But mostly uh, the people that I'm concerned for with, with something um, in their lives that is debilitating to them or maybe to someone else. Some struggle they're having in their life. That, uh, that's where I'm at. But he says this. He said, I, I don't cease to pray for what? And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When I uh, read that, I'm always challenged to remember that shouldn't that be my prayer? If I tell you that I'm fearful for somebody or I'm scared about someone or a set of circumstances, then what should I be praying? Well, for their deliverance? I should be praying that that individual, myself, a church, a marriage, a family, that they would be filled with what? His will, the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Have you ever prayed that prayer? In light of being a spiritual person, struggling with the carnal, knowing that others are struggling with the carnal, have you ever, have you, is that, think about the, the, the weight of that. We want, we want relief. We pray for relief. Lord, help me. Please help me. I, I just, that's good. We should. We should. We pray for our, maybe a sin in our life is something we're struggling. We should. But have you ever thought, since you're a spiritual being struggling in the flesh, and we live in a carnal world that's doomed to destruction. This deal's, if you don't know it, this deal's going to burn up probably pretty quick. Probably real quick. I believe in all my heart, uh, we are very, very, I'm not a doomsayer guy. I don't know when it'll be. I know the scripture tells me I ought to be prepared and I better be on the alert. And there are, there are indications in Scripture that we could talk about, and that's another sermon for another day, and I'd be glad to study it with you. I mean, Jesus would say that, you know, I'll talk to you about the end days. There's going to be wars and rumors of war and, and earthquakes and famine, and, and people will be getting married and having kids. What he was saying was that's the way it's always been. He was saying, don't, if you think it's, oh, there's a war, well, there's another war with a famine and drought. People are, that's, no, he said, that's when it's going to happen, just like always. You don't believe, if you think bad, things are bad now, just study the 14th century. <laughs> just study the Civil War. The days are evil. Paul writes the Ephesians, you better make the most of your days because the days are evil. But there is one indicator in Scripture. And Jesus would say, I don't know. I don't know. 
That only my father knows the day and the time. But the scripture does say in those days, and there's a list, you can read about it. Men will become boastful and lovers of money and boy, children and the families are going to be, uh, but there's one indicator. We, we know it says in those days, knowledge will increase. We have the greatest increase in knowledge right now in the last 50 to 60 years globally. You can't, all of humanity, you go back 3,700 years, you go back to the Rosetta Stone and the earliest historical indications that we can have of history, you take all of it. The previous 3,700 years, we have more knowledge now than we've ever had. I do believe the Lord is coming and I believe he's coming back. And when he comes back, the heavens are going to open. And this is not inspired to create fear in you or even to be dramatic. But he is coming back. And we're celebrating the birth, praise God. That has happened. We celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection. That has happened. And we ought to celebrate it. But there's only one thing that has not happened. And as the birth happened, and as the death, burial, and resurrection happened, the heavens, there's going to be a trumpet. And the heavens are going to open, and he's going to appear, and there is going to be a division. And not everybody who cries, Lord, Lord, is going to be saved. In fact, he'll say, depart from me. I didn't know you. It's going to happen, and all this is going to be burned up. Your ranch, your business, your vehicles, your SUV, your IRAs is going to be burned up. It's going to happen. So whatever's going on in your life, and in light of this statement here, there is a powerful statement. For this reason, the reason that I'm a Christian, that God saved me by the power of his Holy Spirit, uh, based upon grace, and now I live and I breathe and I live, and I have a purpose here on life and, uh, and with my life. And it's supposed to be played out this way because of the truth of the gospel. My prayer should be, no matter what the circumstances are, I should never quit praying. When I hear about the salvation of an individual, when I hear about the faith of an individual, when I hear about the impact of the gospel of an individual, man, I should never, I, I, you couldn't stop praying about that. Just pray. Thank you, God. Thank you. Another salvation, another baptism, another spiritual regeneration, another moment in life that the world cannot explain, an evil, dark world. They can't explain it. Man, God is alive. He was alive yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is. His name is I Am. And he is always going to win. He's never lost. He ain't never going to lose. And anything and everything you've ever put your hope in, it's all going to burn up. But we can praise him. By the power of God and his spirit, we can praise him. And we ought to say, I'll never have a reason to stop praying. I don't care what's happening in Washington, D.C. I don't care what's happening in China. I don't care what's happening in the Middle East. Our God reigns and Jesus Christ is on the throne. And he's never lost and he'll never lose. And death, where is your sting? You can't. I ain't afraid of death. Are you? If you're living in a carnal, you better be. And here's the example he said, but I, don't, I can't cease praying for you. And what? To ask what? Pray this, people. Pray this. If you've got something debilitating in your life, you know somebody that's going through a struggle in their life. You know a church, a marriage, a family, an individual. 
pray this. You want to pray for the healing if they're needed? Pray, good. But pray this. Pray that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pray that. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for your others because you're either going to pray that or you're going to be praying out of a carnal fear and a selfishness, an empty prayer that is just always going to be nothing more than temporary or meeting a temporary need or play. It won't be based upon the will of God. It will not have a spiritual understanding to it. Paul, he wrote to Philippians, he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's a prisoner. He's old. He, he, I'm convinced the theologians and the historian, he, he's convinced he must have had rheumatoid arthritis. You can read in the second letter of the Corinthians, all the things he'd, he'd been whipped and stoned and beaten and so many dangers. He's an old man. And because of the will of God and all the spiritual wisdom and understanding that he said, he said, don't be worried about my circumstances. Can you say that? Are you worried about your circumstances? Are you unhappy? By the way, if you're a Texan and you live in America, I don't know that you and I really have much to complain about, and I mean that. So much of the world does with so little, and we have been blessed with so much. Huh. Hot and cold, running water everywhere. Heaters, AC units, luxury cars, paved highways, grocery store. We went to H-E-B the other day, and, and it's, the whole parking lot was full. People just buying and consuming. Closet full of clothes. And, and we're so blessed. Could you say, and the reason I mention that is because we, we, get, we get knocked over real easy. We get mad about things we should never be mad about. We, we get upset and depressed over things we should never be depressed. And th- you want to get past that? You start praying for the will, his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You start praying for that. Because Paul, he said, don't be worried about my circumstances. Members of the Praetorian Guard are being saved. My, the people that have me in prison... I've been going in prisons for 35 years. I have been privileged enough to see the power of the Holy Spirit, people that are operating from the will of God and spiritual wisdom and understanding, understand that their imprisonment, although it was their fault, they saw it as an opportunity to glorify God. What about your life? What's going on in your life? You mad about something? You got your little feelings hurt? You struggling with something? You devising a plan against somebody. You've had those conversations in your mind. You've justified where you're at and condemned with somebody. Because we all do it. I've done it. I do it. Is that where you're at? Where is his will and the spiritual understanding in that? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. Where is it? Because if it's that, it's carnal. This is a challenge. There's a contrast and a challenge. So I challenge you. I hope the scripture challenges you to look at yourself this morning. It has challenged me to look at me. But I look at Paul, and I look at those great spiritual 
people in my life. I am so blessed that God has surrounded me with spiritual individuals. I get to see this in their life. I get to see men and women who are operating in his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. No matter what the circumstances are, they're going to praise God. No matter what's happening, to live as Christ and die as gain. No matter what's happening, they may take a shot to the head. They may get a little, they say, you know what, I'm going to think on these things. No matter what is happening, just like Paul, he said, I'm going to have the attitude of Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. So please, read these passages, do the contrast, examine yourself, and then ask yourself, for this reason. We say Jesus is the reason for the season. What is Jesus the reason for in your life? Is it just he's the reason for the season? Or what is Jesus in all of God's will and his spiritual wisdom and understanding? What's the reason for him in your life? It changed the way you live. And it changed the way you live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for our time of fellowship this morning and the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the power of the hymns that we sang this morning. Thank you for the gift of the fellowship that you give us to we can gather as like-minded people to praise, give you praise, honor, and glory. Thank you. Thank you for the spiritual wisdom and understanding according to your will that is revealed to us through Scripture. And your will and your spiritual wisdom and understanding, Father, is in one name and only one name, and it is in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Jesus, in his name, amen.